Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my co-hosts... Carol. Matt. I forget my name. Mel. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just a bunch of hoopleheads. Mm. Yep. There Especially me. People, there are probably people that are going to think Mel is kidding. That she forgot her name? Yeah. She's just an airhead. That's true. No, a hooplehead. A hooplehead. Oh. That's right. <laughs> See, I remembered that part. I forgot the premise of the podcast. <laughs> I forgot it this time. We've all been doing too much cocaine in honor of the show we're talking about today. Yep. Mm-hmm. But before we uh, get there, I've got some network news. Do you remember a show that we covered on the pod a few years ago? Probably a few years ago. In Treatment, the Gabriel Byrne Psychiatrist Program? Yes. Well, your prayers have been answered. It's coming back. (laughs) It's coming back? A decade after Gabriel Byrne saw his last patient, a new season of the psychotherapy drama is upon us with Orange is the New Black star Uzo Aduba. Am I saying that right? You would know her. She played Crazy Eyes Suzanne on Orange is the New Mm -hmm. Black. Yeah. Right. Well, she will be the new psychiatrist. Oh. She'll star as Dr. Brooke Taylor, a Los Angeles-based therapist with a diverse roster of patients, including guest stars, recurring regulars, Anthony Ramos, John Benjamin Hickey, and Quintessa Swindle, described as a reimagining of the original three-season series, which itself was based on the Israeli drama Betapol, the reboot will see Aduba and company navigate a variety of what HBO calls modern concerns, including the coronavirus pandemic, yes, there will be Zoom therapy, and other recent major social and cultural shifts. Like its predecessor, each episode will focus on a different therapy session, be it with Ramos, whose character Eladio works as a home health aide for a wealthy family's adult son, Hickey playing a charming millionaire recently released from prison, or Swindle's Layla, a teenage client struggling to carve out her own identity separate from her family's overbearing expectations. The Killing and Altered Carbon star Joel Kinnaman also appears as Brooke's recently resurfaced longtime on-again, off-again boyfriend. The 24-episode season will premiere on May 23rd on HBO and HBO Max with two back-to-back half-hour episodes each Sunday and Monday night. Who's been clamoring for this comeback? Yeah. <laughs> Great I'm just question. curious. Like, how come it co- it's coming back? You know it's cheap to make. It's just two people uh, talking yeah. in a room. And in one case, it's yeah. one person in a room and one person on a computer. And it's probably easy to, you know, limit uh, contact, I guess. That's true, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. You're filming. Yeah. Right. Mm. No. Just a simple, low budget. But still, if the writing is good and the performances are strong, it could be it could be interesting. It could be especially uh, relevant, depending on the topics that they're going to be talking about. Yep. I don't know if I'll still have HBO Max uh, by next May 23rd, but if I do, I'll give it a shot. I like What? You may not have it? I, I have it on a continuing res- renewal basis of uh, every month evaluating whether or not I need to keep this $15 a month service. Yeah. So depending on what's coming out. What show interests you? I'll probably keep it because I started to watch Person of Interest on HBO Max. Okay. Which used to be a CBS show, but I guess it's produced by Warner Brothers, and therefore 
HBO Max is the rights to it. And that show ran for, I don't know, five seasons or something. So I'll probably stick with the service just to keep watching that because the more I watch it, the more I like it. So there you go. I enjoyed it. It was a good, I thought it was a good series. I'm excited for Amy Acker to show up and from what people have said, the starting with maybe the end of season two, it turns into one of the best science fiction shows ever made. Hmm. So uh, not quite there yet. Right now it's just sort of a thriller, procedural thriller, but at some point it's going to turn into something really special and I'm just, I can see the seeds of it and I'm very excited for that. So anyway, uh, that's why I have HBO Max <laughs> for the moment. So I'll <laughs> check see. out In Treatment. I was also, uh, because I had a subscription, I watched the premiere of The Nevers, the new Joss oh. Whedon show. Yeah, how's that Did go? he get fired from that yet? He, he got fired from it a long time ago. Yeah, he got fired slash quit. He blamed it on the production schedule, saying it was too much for him. It premiered to good ratings, I would say. It drew 1.4 million viewers on across all platforms. And on HBO Max itself, which is the streaming service, if you're not aware, uh, it was the most watched premiere on that service ever, but it hasn't been out for very long. That service, it's only existed for like a year and a half. So that's not saying much. It did more, it did better numbers than Lovecraft country last summer, but Lovecraft country did better on the TV station, HBO, the main network. So it, it, it did good, prob not great, but what's interesting about that show is that the, uh, there's no mention of Joss Whedon on it at all. Oh. Really? There's no main title sequence. And my theory of why there's no titles is because they don't want created by Joss Whedon flashed on the show. Like when you sit down to watch it. Oh. So there's none at the end or the beginning? There is at the end, but they don't front load it with Joss Whedon's name. Like I feel like they would have had all this stuff not happened. Yeah, they might have. And there's a behind the scenes featurette that I watched and he's not interviewed. Everyone's interviewed. All of the cast members are interviewed. He's not interviewed. He's seen in like a little bit of behind the scenes footage. And whenever he speaks, it's off screen and subtitled as director. So they don't even <laughs> subtitle him. Wow. So Jeez. he's really like kicked to the curb and persona non grata now, which I guess as it should be. But. And as for whether the show itself is good or not, I thought it was better than I expected, but I had a very low expectation. I think it's good enough that I'm going to keep watching it, but it's it's not fantastic, but I really like the actresses. Mm. I just don't think it's plotted in a very interesting way. It feels very familiar. The villain's a little too cartoony. Nothing feels very special about it, but I like the actresses, so I'll probably keep watching. I mean, I've got this subscription. I better keep watching. Yeah, might as well. Uh, and then the last bit of news I have, uh, it's about a show called Warrior. Has anyone heard of this one? This used to be on Cinemax, but it's moving to HBO Max. No. Nope. I'm going to uh, tell you about it, because it also sounds pretty intriguing. The first season of the show aired in 2019, with the second having debuted in October 2020. It It is based on the writings of Bruce Lee, 
and is set during the brutal Tong Wars of San Francisco's Chinatown in the late 19th the century. The Bruce Lee? The Bruce Lee. Whoa, that's interesting. Mm. So what was it, like a like script that he wrote? I guess it was just an idea that he had or something he was pitching and trying to get made. Kind of like Kung Fu, the series I that suppose, was stolen yeah. from him. Yes. I and he wrote- think I read that the character in Kung Fu was originally supposed to be the character that was in this show. Like it, oh. his, You're saying that his ideas for Kung Fu were stolen and repurposed for that show? Yeah, he wanted to... I think he conceptualized Kung Fu and he wanted to star in it. And then it was like kind of stolen from him and given to David Carradine. Hmm. Yeah. Was it stolen from him or was it just the casting was different? I mean, because that's stolen if he wrote it for himself to star in. I don't know. Well, no, I mean, but if you write something and you want to star in it and they pay you for the writing, but you don't get to star in it, it's not exactly stolen. It's bought. You know what I mean? Whereas if, the, 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 if they really do steal it, because I mean, that's, it's not unheard of for them to literally steal stuff. Yeah. You know, then he the, just gets the, the Bruce Lee, uh, hurt. autobiography movie dragon, the Bruce Lee story made it seem like it was stolen <laughs> out from under him. You mm. know, they may have taken like artistic liberties, probably, but, but I mean, it wouldn't be unusual for somebody to get something totally, you know, ripped off from them. Yeah. Um, at all. That's uh, just more curious than anything. I mean, I knew that he had written it and that he had wanted to star in it and that, you know, it was a whole racist thing. But, uh, I, you know, I don't know what the business, what it came down to as far as business as to whether he got anything out of it or whether they just literally found a way to cut him out entirely. Hmm. No. Uh, I found an article Anyways, yeah, so, that says... Sorry, sorry, Matt. No, that's okay. I like that the podcast yeah. isn't just me blathering, that there's participation. <laughs> Why not? I was just like... <laughs> but now that you've all shut up a little bit, I can tell you a little bit more and answer some of your questions. <laughs> uh, an article here says, In the 1970s, Lee, then on the cusp of Hollywood stardom, pitched to a, a pitch to television network his show, but he was rejected on the basis that viewers would be uncomfortable with an Asian male lead, even if that lead was Bruce Lee. My God. Yep. Now, over 40 years after his death in 1973, Lee's vision is realized. Warrior, a new Cinemax series co-produced by Shannon Lee, that's his daughter. Cool. I hope his daughter, not his granddaughter. I think his daughter. No, it's his daughter. His yeah, daughter. It, uh, it proudly states at the beginning, uh, based on the writings of Bruce Lee. Shannon unearthed the treatment and began to shepherd her father's legacy in the production of this show. So once again, uh, it aired on Cinemax for two seasons and then it finally debuted on HBO Max to a wider audience this January. And according to a source at HBO Max, since Warrior's arrival there, it's been one of the service's top 15 most viewed series. And that is why the network decided to renew it for HBO Max with a third season. So I'm going to read a little bit about why they renewed it and what they have to say, because I think it's worth reading. The show has performed well, but part of the equation is qualitative as well. Warrior tells a story no one else is telling in a way no one else is doing, says Casey Boyles, chief content officer at HBO and HBO Max, adding that the revival is fairly miraculous. 
The cast and creative team were all willing to rearrange their schedules to make this show happen somehow. Warrior has always focused on honoring the vibrant vision Bruce Lee sketched out, not just supplying incredible fight scenes, but also depicting a tapestry of relationships and rivalries among the various denizens of this specific city, San Francisco, at this boisterous, dangerous time. On the show, new and established Chinese immigrants constantly interact with Irish immigrants, business owners, rich do-gooders, flawed cops, and calculating politicians. The show features characters of many different backgrounds and worldviews, but at no point are the Asian characters marginalized, caricatured, or created in the passive mold of too many AAPI characters in American TV history. Representation was on our mind when the series was first developed. It's part of the show's resonance, and has only become more essential, Blois said. Indeed, the drama has always woven the nation's dangerous and even deadly addiction to anti-Asian racism and violence into the fabric of its narrative. The real-life waves of murders and attacks against AAPI communities now and in recent years mean that Warrior's clear-eyed depictions of similar historical patterns and racist power structures make it exceptionally relevant. As Shannon Lee has noted in the past, her father, Bruce Lee, could not get Warrior made while he was alive. I asked her about what he thinks about its extraordinary resilience in this moment. I just think that he would be and is thrilled that his energy is all over this and that we are a reflection of him, Lee said. And if there's any way he's up there orchestrating any of this, then he's like, yeah, you got it, baby. Here we go. (laughs) Awesome. Sounds interesting. So So I think I'm going to give that one a shot, too, since I have a subscription. So if we were... If we were, like, to think about covering this, would we still cover it? Because it used to be Cinemax, but now it's HBO. It used to be Cinemax, and now it's HBO Max. It's not actually on the network Prime. So we probably won't cover it. So it's not something we would cover. Unless the fans of the pod demand it. (laughs) Fuck that show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would love to see it. I was going to say, what if we just decide to do what it? What if we just did it? Yeah. <laughs> there are rules. It sounds inter- It's just the history of it and everything. Like, it would be interesting to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. I, have a, I have a weird... Bruce Lee, I did not know that I was a fan of Bruce Lee <laughs> for right. a really long time. No, I was a kid, and um, he was on a show called Long Street. Um way back when i don't know what year and oh 1971 72 okay so um i was a kid and there was this secondary character who was teaching this blind detective how you know uh martial arts and he was great i i really liked that character better than anybody else on this show and then that character the same actor who i had no idea what his name was went to um, Green Hornet, and I followed him there, and he was the only decent thing on the show. Cool. Uh, but he was he played Cato, and, and he was very cool, and I really liked him a lot. And then he disappeared, and I didn't know what happened to him, and I didn't really think about it too much. And, you know, you started hearing about this guy, Bruce Lee, Chinese films, yada, 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 big hype, you know, and I just didn't pay any attention. And then all of a sudden, I found out that Bruce Lee was the guy that I'd been such a fan of back on television. That's so fun. Yeah. Again, if the 90s uh, autobiography is correct, uh, Green Hornet in, uh, in China was called The Cato Show. 
And and it was in my mind too. Actually, <laughs> I remember seeing that. Um, you know, I saw that that uh, movie too, and um, yeah, I remember see- hearing that and thinking, yeah, I it was the Cato show. As far as I was concerned, I was not there to watch anything but you know Cato. <laughs> That's cool. That Bruce Lee movie's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah actually, like the little like autobiography, autobiographical. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if you guys have ever uh, just still speaking of Bruce Lee. I don't know if you've ever read like his self defense book, but it's hilarious because it's basically like uh, if you if you can't like beat your opponent, kick him in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like not opposed to fighting dirty, which I find hilarious. Like yeah. poke his eyes out, <laughs> throw sand in their face. Yeah, <laughs> it's the best. It's not fighting dirty. <laughs> not if Bruce Lee no. get, said it's okay. You're, yeah, Bruce Lee said it's fighting okay. to survive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you're the if if you're the weaker party, mm. then you know you use whatever you can use. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought that was great. <laughs> yeah. You know, looking at Bruce Lee's IMDb page, which is tragically short because he died at age thirty-two. Mm. He played Cato on Batman and the Green Hornet. So was this like a early crossover, crossover event yeah it was yeah wow yeah i remember it oh and uh did you know that the green hornet uh is canonically a descendant of the lone ranger no wow. hence the similar masks that's very <laughs> intriguing Kidding. really that is yeah. full of bruce lee facts cool <laughs> that is weird <laughs> I mean, not not that you're full of Bruce Lee facts, but that Gato and the I mean, um, <laughs> that, no, the, the Green it Hornet is, is related is, to the right. Lone Ranger. It is I'm weird sorry. that he's full of Bruce Lee facts. It's weird. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, uh, the Green Hornet is somehow related to the Lone Ranger. Okay, yep. wow. Only so twenty six episodes, so probably not enough to hit syndication, which is why I've never seen the Green Hornet. Yeah, I saw plenty of Batman though. As a kid, yeah. every oh, yeah. day afternoon, where they crossed over. No, mm. Mm. neither do I. Oddly, I sort of. Re- I feel like I have a vague recollection, but yeah, there were only two seasons of Batman, but there were 120 episodes. So many episodes, so <laughs> many, and they're they're all fantastic. <laughs> there were two a week. There were two a week. So you were supposed to, you know, tune in on. I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays or something. I yeah. don't remember. And you were supposed to. I didn't really watch the show that much. I wasn't a huge fan of of that kind of move of that kind of show. But um, I mean, I was only watching Green Hornet for Cato. So wow. Um, um, but the, it was like tune in on Thursday, same bat time, same bat channel. That became like a right. Yeah. Oh, I used to watch it every weekday afternoon after school, four four thirty. So good. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are we ready for the main event? Yeah.
only one show to talk about today because of the double length of the premiere episode, but we'll be talking about vinyl. Did anyone watch the main titles? Yes. Thoughts? Um, I thought they were very representative of what the show was about. Yeah, I did too. I I liked them. I There were no main titles in the front of the premiere, I guess because they didn't want it to be too long. <laughs> so they trimmed 90 seconds out of it. So great. Um, but <laughs> what they, they show a... Like the needle from the record player going into the vinyl record, and it's like represented almost like like a chisel going into stone as it carves its path, which I thought was very symbolic. And it also the the chisel carving the stone is is kind of like the end of this episode with the crack in the wall, and the debris and the powder is like cocaine powder, and they were like puffs of smoke mm-hmm. and like cocaine powder smoke and mm-hmm. it would all work. Vi- I thought visually it all worked really well. I didn't understand the music or the, I couldn't understand the lyrics. It was just kind of like noise to me, but visually it, it felt very on brand for the show that we watched. So I really I liked it. I didn't think they actually expected you to be able to understand the words of the music. I got the feeling it was um, purposely, combination of muffled and and um oh what's the word i'm looking for when the they they mess the sound up so that it's uh, distorted distorted thank you um and so the uh i got the feeling that that was part of the whole thing i mean how distorted is the the whole business right and and you know most of the time they're they're underneath this drug. They're in this drug haze of either, you know, uppers or downers. And, uh, yeah, I, I figured that was part of the whole symbolic thing. That makes sense. Now that you say that, I just thought it was me not understanding music and perpetually not grasping what the lyrics are, (laughs) but it felt grungy and it felt right for the tone of the show and visually, arresting so you didn't get to see those titles if you only watched the premiere but they start at the title uh they start at the start of episode two uh for what it's worth so this show so are you sorry are you one of those people that continually misunderstands lyrics like like mondegreens i don't know what that word meant <laughs> mondegreen i don't know what it's that like, means it's a uh, neither it's it's a term for when you misunderstand lyrics because there was a song. It comes from there was a song that had the lyric and they laid him on the green, but someone understood it as Lady Mondegreen. So, <laughs> so ever since then they've been calling people like whenever someone misunderstands lyrics, they call that a Mondegreen. Oh, I didn't <laughs> know that. Yeah. Oh, full of fun facts. <laughs> There's so many lyrics that, you know, they, I saw something the other day and they were, they were saying how, oh yes, this is the number whatever top of the top 100 rock and roll songs of all time. And no one ever could figure out what the, any of the lyrics mm-hmm. were. I think it was, uh, Louie. Louie, Louie. Oh, Louie, Louie. Well, yeah, well, that was yeah. like the most famous one. Where it's right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, I... There's a lot of times when 
I have to listen to lyrics for a really long time to be able to understand them. If, if the singers have no diction or purposely being cool mm-hmm. in such a way that you can't, you know, that they're just mumbling or they have marbles in their mouths or whatever. I don't know if I don't understand or misunderstand the lyrics so much as I just don't understand them to begin with. I don't know if I hear something that's not there. I just don't hear it. Although maybe I did hear Hold Me Close, Young Tony Danza. I think that may have been me. And I know that's... You're the one who started that? (laughs) And that's Sophie B. Hawkins, her only famous song. I'm pretty sure in the background they're singing... I like tacos. <laughs> Which makes no sense, but I—that's what I hear. Yeah. I like yes. tacos. <laughs> anyway, well, let's talk about I like, vinyl. I like that version. <laughs> Mel, Mel thought. Uh, uh, that patio lantern song was about a lady. But that's named... a very Canadian song. I don't know if oh, that's like yeah, something. Maybe, maybe you guys haven't heard that one. But there's a song called Patio Lanterns, and I always thought that the he was talking about a lady called Patty O'Lantern, like an <laughs> Irish lady. <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, let's talk about vinyl. It premiered February 14th, 2016. Lasted one season, ten episodes. The premiere was written by Terrence Winter, Martin Scorsese, Rich Cohen, and Mick Jagger, with a teleplay by Terrence Winter and George Masters, and it was directed by Mr. Martin Scorsese, who also directed the pilot of Boardwalk Empire. And the premiere cost $30 million, and the first season cost $100 million, and we'll talk about if we think it was worth the price. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, someone has to summarize in 60 seconds the two-hour oh, premiere. Uh, you have to do it after you take a snort of cocaine. Matt's snorting cocaine right now. Get those nostrils ready. He's he's doing it right now. I think it's going to be me. Oh, oh. And it is Matt. He's snorting cocaine right now. Good. You're going to have to wait. <laughs> Matt, stop snorting cocaine. Matt, he can't hear me. He's He'll running. probably go under He's if like he running has water. that much cocaine Matt, in the system. stop snorting cocaine. You have to do the same thing. He'll probably go right. 10 minutes over, but think he's only been talking for 20 seconds. <laughs> oh, I thought it would sorry, be the other Matt. way around. I don't know. I don't know. With I don't know cocaine. how drugs work. I'm sorry. I'm too square. Well, I understand. I'm pretty square, too. My understanding is cocaine is an upper and, and it'll make you talk faster. Like So so then then you should be okay. Opinion, but oh, yeah. I might be totally wrong on that one. Collect your thoughts. So it I know landed it's, on me for real. It did I, land yes, on you, yes. I know it's probably oh. I know it's probably cat hair that's bugging your nose, but we're gonna pretend that it's cocaine. Okay. <laughs> now I've gotta look up drug stuff. <laughs> <laughs> drug stuff. We're so hipping with it, guys. Yeah. I know. <laughs> like, uh, We're just a bunch of hoople heads. That's right. That's right. Okay. Right. He's ready. Kind of. Three, two, one, go. All right. It's the 70s and a guy 
uh, is in his car and he's like all coked out and stuff. And then he goes into a club and he sees a, a band that he seems to like and he's uh, he's just all into it. And then we see his life and he's a guy who owns a record company and he's trying to sell his company because it sucks. And uh, he's not having any luck. He's trying to get Led Zeppelin. He can't do it. Um, within that flashback, we get more flashbacks of how he came up in the world and how he screwed over a friend of his and, uh, he's ruining his life, um, making poor decisions. Uh, he kills Andrew Dice Clay, kinda, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, his relationship's bad and he's just... He's ruining things, and he can't keep his company afloat. But then it actually the the sale goes through, and uh, he then we go back to the club where we started, and it falls on him. The end. <laughs> <laughs> One minute seven seconds. Oh, so close! That yeah. that was really good. It was very good. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah, I like it. Was that oh, who yeah. Andrew Dice Clay was in the show? I saw yeah. his name at the end. Like, oh, was I thought that was probably him. But who was he as a character? I was not clear. Buck Rogers, the radio DJ. Yeah, he was a... Oh. No, he wasn't a DJ. He, he owned, owned radio stations. Radio stations. Uh, I guess oh, I, okay. I, thought... I... I got that much, but I couldn't quite grasp what the connection was between him and Bobby Cannavale's character. What was the... He was... He was threatening to boycott the uh, the entire label's music on all of these radio Donny stations Osmond. because Donny Osmond had snubbed him. Because Donny Osmond had gone to the hospital instead of coming to a party he was supposed to come to. Oh, and Donny Osmond is signed to American Century? Right. Okay. So, yeah, so this guy was going to... Boycott all of the radio stations. You know, make a boycott of the label on all his radio stations. Is this a real record company or is it no. fictitious? It's fictitious. So they're including all these real artists within. Who, if you Googled it, were never signed to this company? <laughs> yeah. Right. That's a very. Although the building strange. they're in, oddly enough, yeah. is a real building, the Brill Building. Hmm. Um, my mother's. Uh, agent had her office in the Brill Building. Was almost all, also almost my agent when I was like six. Your uh, agent? Yeah, she wanted me to do. Uh, she saw me do some some uh, print work and wanted me to sign and do print work modeling. Whoa! My temperament wasn't right for it. What <laughs> <laughs> were you like throwing like? Like throwing yourself on the floor, like screaming. Yeah, I, 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 I would have like little. I, I when I got really scared or whatever, I'd have little temper tantrums or whatever. I, I don't remember it too well. But... <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, no, it. my temperament was terrible for it, but I was, you know, but uh, it was yeah, awful yeah. to work with. Awful. I know, I know. I grew out of it. Now I'm just <laughs> cool as a cucumber. I have Thank God because I mean. I have no opinions whatsoever anymore. We'd have kicked you off this podcast a long time ago. Yes. Right, Matt? But, yeah, it was funny when the drill building came up. It was like, oh, okay. That's cool. So were the subway stations and subway cars really that 
tagged up back in the 70s? They were they were very tagged. I felt like the one in Times Square that they had was they'd gone overboard with. New York City was a mess in those days. Um, I, I remember it very well. The the porn theaters were not right next to Radio City Music Hall. <laughs> uh, they had the Devil Miss uh, in Miss Jones and. Um, Deep Throat playing, which were a double feature in Times Square back in the day for years, as I recall. I mean, it just seemed like it was there forever. And then the car, I, they showed that, the car going by there, and then they showed the car going up, um, uh, up past, uh, Radio City Music Hall on, um, what, Sixth Avenue, I guess it is. And, uh, that was like, okay. There's a little more time in between there, but not a lot. But it, I don't know. It was just a little strange. Um, but yeah, it was. The subways were a mess. Times Square was a mess. Um, Ninth Avenue was a mess. It was. It was not a good time for New York City during the '70s. That was when uh, New York was thinking about declaring bankruptcy. Um, they're thinking that Ford may have lost the election when he, the with the um, headline on one of the tabloids that said Ford tells New York City drop dead because they wouldn't consider helping New York City out of uh, their difficulties. So it, yeah, it was a tough time financially, economically for New York. But what a great time yeah. for music, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. For music, it it was great. And actually, in a bizarre sort of way, musicians could actually live in Manhattan back in those days. Um, Because there was, I mean, it was not the greatest housing in the world. But, you know, I I had friends who were living in walk-ups for like $60 a month, you know. Which was money in those days, but it was was doable. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, now those same apartments, the railroad apartments with, you know, the bathtub in the kitchen would be probably, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month. Something nuts like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I was, that, I was around New York a lot in those days. Hmm. Cool. In any of those a clubs, lot. the way that... uh <laughs> No, Richie walks into no. that club and, and it seems they're actually carrying a person out who either OD'd or is just unconscious or dead, maybe. Uh, no, um, I I went to clubs, but they were occasionally, but they were usually upper upper level mm-hmm. sorts of places um, because I would get invited to go, you know, as opposed to I didn't just like go wandering into clubs and stuff. And I was kind of young. So, well, in 70, that was 73, right? Yeah. I was, I was yeah, I wasn't quite, yeah, I, friends would take me to clubs back in those days. And so we, you, we would usually go to more upper, upper class stuff, you know. Um, and friends of mine who were invited, like who were working for, Martha Graham, this one friend of mine who was working for Martha Graham, he would, uh, when Halston would give, like, a, a, a special 
event to Martha Graham as a fundraiser or something like who, that. Who he, is that? He'd invite me. Halston. Halston was one of the biggest uh, fashion designers. Well, who's Martha Graham? Uh, Martha Graham. Martha Graham was one of the biggest dance um, icons. In um, she was kind of the almost the, one of the inventors of modern dance, um, and uh, um, a friend of mine worked for her and her company for for quite a few years. Um, but yeah, she was one of the inventors of modern dance and she had a company in New York city. So anyway, so Halston would give her fundraisers at, uh, at, uh, what's it? 51. What do they call it? Club, not club 51, studio 50, studio 51. Studio 54. Thanks. Studio 54, whatever it was. You're only off by three Um, numbers. Right. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was on, it was, you know, wherever, it was only a few blocks from my friend's house anyway, so we could just walk. When in. we were covering Show Me a Hero last time and we were in the, the Yonkers uh, outside of New York City and you said that that kind mm-hmm. of reminded you of home and th- does this feel authentic to you as a depiction of the time and place? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. it yeah. It, one thing you have to realize is that there's very specific subcultures in New York City. So you can be near a particular culture and be totally outside of it. You know, it's like I was never part of the the music culture. I was in theater. And so there would be situations like when I was dating um I was dating a cop for a while, um New York City detective. And we went to a party at one point and we had to leave early because everybody was like heading into the bathroom and doing various things. And it was like, okay, we got to get out of here before I know anything is happening. You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Because yeah, they were doing drugs in the, in the bathroom. And uh, so it was like one of those deals of you don't want as a, as a new cop, and he was fairly new at that point, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you have to um, have to either turn turn a blind eye or like arrest your friends. <laughs> so <laughs> you get out. Mm. But um, I didn't have that happen all that much myself. I I kind of. Because he was, he would always be like, well, you know, if your friends, I'm like, my friends generally are smoking, you know, grass, and that's about it. And it was his friend's party that we went to, and it's like, it's <laughs> your friends who are, you know, I haven't seen any cocaine or anything like that at, at my friend's parties. <laughs> so. Well, speaking of. This is how the episode starts with Bobby Cannavale in his car. He breaks the the mirror off the uh-huh. top of the car and uses it as a surface of which to snort some drugs. And why do people always use mirrors for, for I was snorting? They're good flat surface. It's a, well, there's plenty of flat surfaces you can use. It's a good use. cutting it's board. A mirror. Well, what do you expect them to actually carry a cutting board with them? <laughs> is it? Does it help? someone see up their own nostril, you wouldn't think that it would be really that necessary. 
Who knows? I don't know. Uh, maybe because you can get mirrors in in nice compact sort of things, whereas something that like a piece of glass that is also you know just as smooth. There's not really a reason to have compact pieces of glass that you carry around. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I wonder the same thing, Matt. We're we're just too square to <laughs> to know how to partake of the nose candy. I suppose. Uh, Bob, yeah. Richie's got a rotary phone in his car. I looked this up. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, the, no, the, no, it's not crazy. The car phones, the car phones, uh, became popular and mainstream in the 1970s with the advent of audio radio fuelin or the car radio phone service network. This technology connected with the car's battery and used signals that were attached to telephone networks. This would later be known as zero G. One G was the first truly portable mobile phone. The first car phone service used high power transistor and external antennas to get the signals across. So it's crazy. It's like set 1973 mm-hmm. in those car phones. Yeah. I thought they came about yeah. in the eighties, but yeah. No, but they were very unusual. I mean, that yeah. was, that was, I was letting us say, know. You could, probably, that... you could probably count the amount of people who had car phones. Like, yeah, well, this guy on had two money. hands in this the whole country. Yes. <laughs> this guy had money though. Yeah. It made sense fact, for him that... to have it. Yeah. And no one else. Right, and That was part of the signal that, this guy was loaded. But it would have been yeah. so much funnier if he had like a hundred feet of telephone cable and went inside some business and plugged in so he could use his phone. Yes. Yes. It's not get smart. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, the moment though, when a bunch of crazed club goers just appeared in mass like a zombie horde. And he, he was called to this club that, I guess he had not noticed before and they knew who he was and they let him in. And at what point did you realize, Oh my God, they're going to do the whole song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that wasn't one of the things to go back on your previous question. Now that I'm thinking about it, that scene, uh, one of the things that it did remind me of from back in the day from more like the sixties than the seventies was, you know, there were these counterculture things that that went on. And I remember going to one where everybody was dressed very strangely and there was a lot of weird stuff going on. But I was a I was a little kid at that point and uh I remember my mom pointing out that they were try- working very hard not to have me in any photographs. I mean the people who ran the thing were making sure I was not in any photographs. Uh what? Because I was so young. Oh, they were keeping you out of the... They, they're, you know, they wanted to make, they probably wanted to make sure there was no legal trouble of having somebody that young. Like under A minor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what might, whatever might have been going on in the, uh, in the thing. Yeah, my mom was with me and stuff. But, um, my mom was with me at a lot of stuff, actually, back in those days. Right. Yeah, so they all the get-ups and everything. I mean, it, that was not all that that crazy. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. outrageous all the costumes and styling that yeah. in this club, but yeah. it was also rather uh impressive to see how welcoming it was to and a lot how 
people were free to express themselves. Hmm. Notice he first got stopped, though, because he didn't really fit. And then they kind of realized who he was. He also jumped the queue, though. And he also had cocaine. Yes. He also had cocaine all over his upper lip. So So they also knew that, you know, where he was coming from. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What else do we want to talk about? He well, was very, he was obviously very distressed. There's so many plots and subplots in this premiere that we could. Mm. Where are we going to go next? There's also all just the random musical acts that have nothing to do with anything. Like yeah. they just act as like interstitial things. Did anybody enjoy any of those musical acts? Yeah, some of I them. I but... liked the one about the black coffee. I like the I like the lady uh, dancing around the the, the dining dining room with the tambourine. Yeah. But, yeah, but it confused the heck out of me. I'm like, who yeah. is this? Why is this happening? But was that not the black coffee one? Oh, maybe I don't know. Oh no, that was um, my some man treats me bad or something. It was blues, mm. right? I shazammed it, but I don't know where where that went. Oh yeah, the blues stuff I liked. I liked the blues stuff. But that was part of the story, I think. The, yeah. His, his yeah. Friend there. Yeah, the blue stuff was good. I now, admittedly, I have to admit right from the beginning here that um, I was not in the greatest mood when I watched this. I was <laughs> kind of annoyed with a lot of stuff in my life, mm. and so when I watched it, I didn't have the greatest attitude towards it. I did not really enjoy it all that much. Uh, but uh, you're right. I did like the blues stuff. So there was music in here that I liked. The woman with the tambourine. I don't know if this is supposed to be the actual singer, but the song is Mama, He Treats Your Daughter Mean. Singer's Ruth Brown. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the first one of those that just came out of nowhere and had nothing to do with anything. And it was very confusing. <laughs> right. I like the stuff that was actual music from the time I didn't really enjoy I mean maybe some of these random things were music from the time like the the song in the club at the very beginning there but it was not anything I enjoyed listening to this time but I kind of thought from that beginning that they were going to really give like the beginning of grunge and stuff or the beginning of punk and I don't know. It, I didn't. It didn't seem really focused. In terms of like very, the musical catalog, and like where they were, what the point was, what they were, what the story was, they were actually telling. Other than this guy's, I mean, it was like I kind of was like, oh crap! It's another one of those. This guy is going to, he's in a spiral, and we're going to watch him spiral down and destroy his life. Ugh. Matt's Again. favorite shows. My, your yeah. favorite shows. My favorite <laughs> no, shows. I, thought, I don't like those no, shows either. I, I, that's what I said, yeah. It's your favorite kind of show. <laughs> but are you yeah. saying that sarcastically? Because it's... Yes. Okay. <laughs> well... Because I, I think you, I think I remember <laughs> you saying you don't like watching people destroy their lives. I don't know. I feel like Carol says that. I said Maybe. that. I don't think I no, have given I've it too much thought. Yeah. 
It, I've said that a few times. <laughs> I don't care if people destroy the I don't, Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I generally don't care about anything that has to do with music. When Carol's talking about her past in theater, I was like, that's the show I would rather watch. Let me see a theater company in the 1970s, not rock and roll. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was pretty interesting. Uh, back in the, everything was interesting, I have to admit. The 70s was an interesting period. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. Because counterculture, druggy, rock and roll, grunge, punk stuff is just not my aesthetic. I, I Honestly, I just found that about, I mean, I tried to stay attentive to the whole thing. And I did. I, I stayed attentive through it. But about three quarters of the way through, I found myself just saying, okay, I am just bored by mm. this. And one of the reasons I was bored was because I didn't feel like there was anything new. It's like, I felt like all of this stuff had been gone over so many times. I mean, how only now we're doing it fictionally instead of by, you know, biographies of real people and stuff. It's like, we all know that there was cocaine in just buckets full. We all know there was payola going on. And we all know that uh, the the artists were getting cheated, and and that black artists were getting cheated even worse than the white artists were, who were also getting cheated. <laughs> that that there was never money left for for the artists. Um, you know, just like uh, in movies, whenever they say um, you get a percentage of the net and there's never any net, you know, stuff like that. It's like all of this. I just felt like I've seen it before. I've heard it before. None of this is new. So that's That's true. I kind of felt like that about this show too. Not that it was poorly done or anything. No, no, it was very well done. I thought it had a good energy to it. And one of the things when we talk about how, why it got canceled, um, Martin Scorsese said, well, you know, I think I get canceled because I didn't direct every episode, which is a little oh ridiculous. What a, a strange thing to say, but he definitely put his mark on this. It felt theatrical. Yeah, and it felt very I, I liked the, kind the transitions. Of attitude that these... Go ahead, sorry. This is the kind of attitude, though, that these types of shows have, like, in terms of, like, they're always, like, kind of, like, up their own asses kind mm-hmm. of thing. Or up their own nostrils. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's just like I don't know. Yeah. Oh, this is important, Mel. This is about rock and roll and the music industry well, in the seventies. Don't you what... care about this? This is important. This is Americana. Well, I, mean, I, I I don't. I'm not like I don't have the attitude of like oh like this is uninteresting because it's about music. I do like you know like uh, I like the music, but I just don't like the whole. I don't know, like name dropping, kind of like we know all this stuff, therefore we're cool. You know, like I find no offense to any music nerds out there, but I find I do find music nerds can be frustrating sometimes because they expect you to know everything that they know. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember all the band names out there. <laughs> you know, like I just don't. Well, then you're not cool, man. Yeah, exactly. I just feel <laughs> like you can never live up to like 
to that like their I, level, like their expectations of like you know mm. like some people not everybody but like there's some people out there that are like what you don't know this band and it's like oh, I do I think that the show <laughs> at one point acknowledged that when yeah. Richie comes in to the A&R meeting I'm not sure what A&R stands for but this is the group of people Atlantic Records no, this is the group that <laughs> is supposed to find new acts to sign, right? That's their whole thing. They listen to, to records and whatever. So they're having lunch and Richie comes in and they're like, what's this Swedish pop garbage that's on the radio? And they're all like, "Ugh, we hate that. And he's like, no, this is going to be huge. Like he has an ear for it. And right, he's like, right. they're going to fill stadiums. And this is ABBA. Mm-hmm. And of course, right. you know, ABBA is, you know, hugely popular even today. Young people like ABBA. Right. But they're yeah. so sophisticated in their tastes, these music connoisseurs, that mm. something that's fun and pop and light, they don't see the business sense or even the artistic value in that, which is to the company's detriment. And Richie sees right. it. Or maybe he's just always throwing things on the wall and he just happens to be right in this instance. What is this? It's a, I think it's a Swedish girl group. They just charted in Europe. We passed know. on them months ago. Atlantic UK just signed them. Yeah. Music's garbage, but I'd fuck the blonde. Would the blonde fuck you? That's what we want to know. Can you beg in Swedish? Oui, oui. Is that... What's Atlantic <laughs> thinking? This is crazy. I know that it's catchy, right? You can dance to it. Hey, uh, don't you have letters to type? Just saying. This Alvin and the Chipmunks, baby. Please make this shit stop, man. I'm throbbing <laughs> right like now. Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> You're all hearing this the same way. Yeah. No. Of course. Three bars. Three bars. I can tell they'll be filling football stadiums. Come on, Richie. <laughs> Where are we with the good rats? Uh, Eventually, you're going to have to swallow, and when you do, I want to hear some good news. They, uh, um, they went with Warners. And you're here eating lunch? He needs sustenance, doesn't he? What he needs is to sign the next good rats like I'm fucking paying him to. You're completely right. I will go. I will do that. I don't need your fucking liverwurst, whatever it is. Anybody? Anything? Come on, people! Our goddamn roster's like a Chinese menu. It's all over the fucking place. Right? Grand Funk and Donny Osmond, Savoy, Br- fucking Robert Goulet. Who's next, huh? The Topo Gigio? Is he in play? The guy does the voice, I mean. Look, Richie, I've been going all around the city. There's nothing good. Get out, out of the now. city. You know, Ahmed Erdogan walked through a fucking swamp to sign... Professor Longhair, yeah, we all know that story. You're a wise-ass now? No, 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 I'm just... I hear you, man. Oh, oh, you hear me? Yeah. You hear me? Because I hear nothing. You know what they call this label out there in the world? American Cemetery. Where artists go to die. You know, maybe we could... Get hipper offices, move out of the Brill building. I like it here. Asshole. Bars. Dance clubs. Fucking 
high school talent shows, wherever people sing. Public restrooms, boss. That's honestly the place I've been lately, and uh, groups going there to rehearse for the, their, the harmonies. There you go. They go in there and they're singing all the time. Nine right? months. Nine months. I sat in the dark to sign Jose Feliciano. Okay? He's blind. He doesn't need lamps. I want what's next! Yeah. But but you can see that these people are full of themselves because that same guy that was like, oh, whatever, like, later he's like, oh, yeah, it was my idea to get you that guitar. And it's like, oh, shut up! Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, kind of like, I don't know. Oh, young people. (gasps) I I was hopeful that uh, the girl, Jamie who keeps all the pills in her drawer was going to be this great had had Richie's kind of ear for music and mm-hmm. she she spoke up in that meeting she goes I've got an idea I like this guy's look on the subway I think he might be I'm going to go check out his act tonight and then they're terrible <laughs> so <laughs> is she good at her job or not I couldn't decide I thought at first she's like oh this is going to be her arc proving her worth as a woman in this field. And then I'm like, and it mm, might be maybe, but in this case, I'm like, Ugh. Because, well, Jamie, yeah, no. they're terrible. <laughs> they're terrible. But she was saying how, you know, you need to do this or do that. You know, you need, you, you need some development. Now, the thing is, I kept thinking to myself, are these guys going to turn out to be, um, Oh, what's, um, Oh, the punk band that was, that was, they were Harold Sex Pistols. Are these guys going to turn out to be the Sex Pistols? Mm. Because, you know, here he is uh, shooting heroin as she leaves. And, you know, I was like, okay, so maybe that's where this Ah, show is going, where it's the rise of punk. And she's got an eye for the next thing. Because as he said, he's looking for the next thing. And the next thing was punk. Um the thing about the thing about uh, a lot of these bands too, it's you may not have like good musicianship, but if you have the right energy to draw a crowd, then I think that's what they're looking for. Like the musicianship can come later. They're just looking for like you know that attractiveness, I guess. Yeah, if they've got something that draws in people. Right. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's some kind of creativity, um, even if it's if it's presentation, mm-hmm. um, then if they get, you know, they, if they're able to put the rest of the pieces together, then they can have a hit or something like that. But yeah, yeah I, that's where I kind of was wondering if that's where it was going. And I agree with you, Matt, I was thinking the same thing about her. Um, I really wanted her to be, you know, some, you know, kind of special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I don't know. Well, the when she said something like, you make people feel something. Mm. Like, well, right. they feel anger and hatred because you're terrible. That's not a... Uh, you, good luck harnessing but, that. Okay, you see... But, I, I, don't, I don't see it. But they did. They did harness that. That was part of the whole punk thing, was they did harness... Uh, just like Andrew Dice Clay, as a comedian, interestingly, having him in this, did mm. the same thing. It's like there were certain people who, you know, tr- harness 
anger and hatred as their as their thing, and they they can actually convince people that that's worth watching. I don't know why. Uh-huh. I never felt I never saw the attraction myself, but the but I don't that- think that's I don't think that's all punk music necessarily. I think that might might be some punk but, musicians, but but I think that's how it started. Yeah. That's- that's where it started. I, I'm not saying that that's how it ended or how mm. how it the most popular. I mean, the Sex Pistols were were kind of a flash in the pan. They they're remembered mostly because of their personas, yeah, and, and the name, mm-hmm. and you know, and you know, they had a presentation. But I have no idea what their music. I don't remember what their music sounded like at all. And, um, so, you know, as I say, it's, if it's kind of the beginning of punk and the end, like the transition or the, the combination of, uh, we have glam rock and all of that and the rise of punk. I don't remember when exactly punk started coming up, but that could be interesting, but I don't know. It just didn't seem very focused. I didn't, I couldn't tell where, where this thing was going. Mm hmm. I want you to know I've never done this before. You was a virgin? No. I meant mixed business with personal. Oh, so you're interested then? In the band? Yeah. Ouch. I didn't mean it like that. No, actually I did. I think we need to keep this professional. Try and remember that next time you stick your finger in my ass. Who said there's going to be a next time? Oh, you're a little bit of a bitch, ain't you? You need to be a lot better if you want to get signed. I've seen high school bands play better than you do. You're one saving grace. People hate you. How's that a saving grace? Because what happened tonight? I haven't seen a band get that sort of a reaction ever. They was trying to kill us. Yes, exactly. Yes, because you made them feel something. You know what you need? You need to work on a persona. A persona? Mm Mm-hmm. You need some more gimmicks, do you? You want me to get a python, swing it around my neck, shoot laser beams out my ass? You like Iggy, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's doing that shit. He's wearing glitter and he's making fucking great music. All right, I like the Stooges. It's the Ashton Brothers making the great music. Iggy just prances around like a fucking Jesse and makes me feel sick. Whole fucking thing's got so phony I don't give a shit about it anymore. Okay. So what do you give a fuck about? Tell me. Fucking. Fighting. Nothing. That's it. That's your persona. Not giving a fuck. Yeah, not giving a fuck. The actress who plays Jamie is Juno Temple, and I know her from Ted Lasso. So if you're not watching Ted Lasso, you're missing out on life. That's an incredible show. Where is that show? Uh, It's on Apple Plus. Oh. But check it out. It gives me that same warm feeling as Parks and Recreation. Just genuinely nice, lovely, wonderful people. And a sense of humor. It's really the antithesis of this show. 
So yeah. Yeah. So it was nice seeing her. She this was uh made in what? Released in 2016, so she was at least four years, five years younger when she made this. Yeah, I liked her and I had hopes for her, but you know, once she slept with the guy and then I don't know, I, I was like, yeah, okay. I didn't like that. Yeah. Yeah, and then I saw like his band and I'm like, what does she see in him? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of he's like, bad. He's bad and she, you know, people like I can fix him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she sees she sees the potential maybe in him. That she maybe she thinks that she can mold him, or she sees like uh, a way to like advance her career, I guess, through him. But she didn't need to sleep with him to do that, right? Well, you know, maybe I mean, she, maybe she did because she felt like he I would mean, listen to her otherwise. Yeah, I mean, and you're I, absolutely right. It, you know, who knows what was going on in her head, right? And it, she wouldn't certainly wouldn't be the first, you know, person, male or female, to you know, try and use that to bond somebody to them. Mm. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I was kind of like, okay, where is this going? And then when they killed the guy, then I was, it was almost like, okay, I've, I've kind of had it with this whole thing. Uh, That was the moment (laughs) where my interest perked up again. I I was starting to, uh, lose interest in the back half of this show after initially being skeptical and then kind of, into it, I got bored, and then I got back into it when there was a impromptu murder happening. I'm like, what is going on? Okay. <laughs> Made me sit up straight. What is happening now? I, I, did you I guys guess, think? Oh, yeah, sorry. Go on. No, go on. No, I was going to kind of change topic. That's fine. Away from the murder? No, well, I was just going to say, do you guys think Richie's a bad guy? Like, I didn't think he's a really terrible guy like compared to some characters in stories no i no i didn't think he was a bad guy no he seemed less i thought he was an opportunist yeah he's obviously regretful of yeah of what he did to the artist that he was like his first client as a manager when he was just a bartender then became a manager of this blues guy and strung him along mm-hmm. like the label strung him along okay do this Super mediocre vanilla music with these the whitest of white backup singers, and then you'll get to do and release your record that you want to do after you make them a little bit of money, and then just strung them along up until the point that he quit and did his own thing, and the other guy was stuck to that label and with the mob with <laughs> yeah. yeah and beat up horribly. Um, and, and they took his voice away. Yes, yeah. it was so. It was that terrifying, was and but I feel yeah. like Richie at least cares about that. Yeah, he's not some yeah. and, and coked he never. Up we never saw him like cheat on his wife or anything, right? Like, well, not yet. He's, he's oh. not, not a psychopath <laughs> or anything. He's he's got a conscience. He just isn't always using it because he's been told that that he can't have one in that business. Yeah, and you know I, it's. Yeah. I, w- I, I liked I was- him. I, I, th- I thought he struck the right balance of um, having issues mm-hmm. but not being too overly complicated and unredeemable. He felt realistic mm-hmm. and just somebody who had dreams and then things just went the wrong way. And how do, how do I get back to what what I like about this industry? Because I 
somewhere along the line, the success and all the distractions got to me. And yeah, I thought, uh, and Bobby Cannavale did a really good job. So I thought it was interesting did, when they were at that. I was going to say, did everybody else find him a sympathetic character or dislike yeah. him? What about you guys? Yes. Yeah, yeah I did. Mel? I mean, he was fine, I guess. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, though, at the, at the party, like when they were talking about how he was going to sign up with Polygram, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then him and uh, Ray Romano were talking about it. I think it was Ray Romano. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were talking about it and then he's like he's like you know like all these all these people, these musicians under your label like we're going to have to drop them, right? Like and, and most of your employees. Most of your well, employees blah, we're not going to drop them but the the Germans were selling too much. Right. Oh yes, right. yes. And then he called them and then he was like, "Oh yeah, like he looked like he felt bad about it and he's like, "What are you now, a commie?" Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting like no, yeah, like he cared about like, the people he was going to unemploy. Yeah, yeah. Which he but could he have done preemptively. I mean, what do you do when you start to hemorrhage money? You start cutting expenses. And what's yeah. one of the expenses you cut is personnel. So surprised yeah. that before he could sell, I mean, he sold it. Now they're going to lose their jobs. He could have gotten rid of them and then kept his company. So yeah. either way, it, it ends up badly for the... For those yeah. other people. Interesting that how Ray Romano, after his show, Everybody Loves Raymond, which was such a huge deal, he's really carved out an interesting career for himself on some really yeah. interesting I, – I really don't like that word. But I don't know what word it would be better, but he was on Parenthood, Men of a Certain Age, which I never watched but heard was very good, and this. So he's been making these unexpected career choices and showing a lot of good uh, acting work. Good depth. Yeah, he kind of pops up at odd times and things. I yeah. I didn't recognize him until he opened his mouth, and then I was like, "Yes, Romano, <laughs> <laughs> unmistakable." Yeah. There's no mistaking his voice. Yeah, yeah, that was the giveaway for me too. Same with Andrew Dice Clay; his voice is distinctive. I was like, I know that guy's voice. <laughs> oh, let's go back to that killing. Um, <laughs> I thought it was very funny that his friend who bashes Andrew Dice Clay over the head with some object. I can't recall what it was. An award, maybe? I think it was an award. He he knocks him out. Andrew Dice Clay gets up again. The friend knocks him out a second time. And he keeps talking about, look, we got to take care of what we did. What we did. Yeah. It's like, we? <laughs> I didn't do it <laughs> either time. Either time. <laughs> Yeah, they thought he was dead the first time, and then he got up, and they're like, oh, I guess he's not dead. We're whew, we're out of the woods. No, I'm going to kill him anyway. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and now we have to get rid of the body, because look what we did. And I just like the, oh, I'm an, an accomplice now. <laughs> How did that happen? In life, you got to, like, you got to face your fears. you got to face your fears. Face your fears. Face your fears. You face your fears. Face your fears, face your fears. You gotta face your fears, you face your fears. You gotta face your fears. Yeah, no, I got it. Richie, Richie, what he's trying to say is you've got to face your fears. That's what he's saying. 
That's it. That's what I'm talking. That's exactly what I mean. I think the reason I I lost interest in it was at that point. Well, I kind of lost interest before. I was bored. I think at the same time you were, Matt. But the murder did not uh, bring me out of it. The uh, the murder. I just felt like okay. So this is you know now we are just totally out of the music business and the time frame and now we're into um this guy like almost like a procedural of okay now he's got this problem of you know having being an accomplice to a murder after the fact if not mm-hmm. during the fact because he didn't actually help murder the guy he just helped get rid of the body um i mean and now we're we're into this it was unfocused before that right right it was yet then, another thing yeah on this already was, overburdened too long premiere and it was something again how many times have we seen when you know it's like a guy who is trying to survive and he's drowning and then something like this happened. I out of the blue. I guess what I liked about kind of, it is that it was unexpected and it felt so tonally bizarre that mm. it shook me out of my kind of daze at this point because I was mm. I was feeling fatigued in the back stretch mm. and then all of a sudden this happens and uh like okay this doesn't make any sense and it's probably not good but at least it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> If you're Richie in that moment, what's the best thing to do? Is it to, like, just run out of the house and uh, go call the cops immediately and explain that the other guy killed him? I don't know why it's... Look, we were all doing drugs, and I was doing less drugs than everybody else, just FYI. And he attacked <laughs> me. He This was his... He had a... We let him walk around with this gun for some reason. The friend never took that gun away from him. Yeah, he was attacked, and uh, he we fought him off. It's unfortunate. Um, how much do I have to pay you to keep this quiet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a bad position to be in, no matter what. And and it, I don't know what he should have done, honestly, because yeah, he just should have turned. He should have just turned that guy in. But I barely know who that guy is, and like. So I don't know why he wouldn't want to turn him in. Also, I really enjoy how like radio DJs were like so had such a position of power back then. <laughs> like it's just crazy to think about that now. Well, like nobody's gonna hear your music ex- unless it gets yeah, through them. But it's just funny. Mm, yeah. Well, that was when they were, you know, mostly independent, or a lot of them were independent uh, before the. This guy was more powerful because he he had multiple radio stations but there were an awful lot of them that you know that payola whole that whole payola thing was partially because <laughs> they were independent and they could play whatever they wanted so yeah. which made for much more interesting radio stations hi why didn't she in bed stomach thing how's the oasis <sighs> Still serving sex? Yeah. All these guys, they're animals. Mm. Joe Corso's promotion guy, Buck Rogers, 
Flash Gordon not available? He owns radio stations. Mm. Don't care for the wicker. Your eyes are bloodshot? Mm. Smoke. I'm not high, Dev. Are you kidding me? It was an observation. You can relax. future everything it's all writing on the sale but the company it's dead i mean there is nothing there and even if i can pull this thing off I mean, the germans are just going to scrap it when they find out it's just an empty shell it'll all be gone you know like it never existed 20 years it's gone for nothing this is nothing Who's saying you have to retire and build model trains? Take the polygram job. You really think that's me? I don't know. I'm trying to help you, babe. I just don't know what you want. I need a change. I need a change, too. I know. Before Richie goes to Andrew Dice Clay's house... He's at his own home for his birthday party, and he's married to Olivia Wilde, mm-hmm. and she seems pretty well adjusted. But I got the mm-hmm. I got the impression that she was a model and left the modeling business because she met this man, and now she's maybe not regretting exactly, but feels a little bit left out of the loop because her friend kind of reminded her that she lives out in the Bergs. Burbs. Yeah. And is no longer part of the scene. Yep. Yeah. So she's... I would have liked more from her. And I, I'm assuming we're going to get more, but she definitely... She's like Don Draper's wife on Mad Men. She's... She's stuck. She... Because mm-hmm. wasn't um, Don Draper's wife? I can't remember. January Jones's character? I can't remember the character's name. She was a model. Too, she was yeah. a model also. And uh, yeah. gave it away... To her giveaway her career so that she could have kids and be in the burbs while her husband, maybe she sees him every once in a while when he comes back from the city, but he'll call her and say, honey, I can't, I'm working late tonight. I can't make it home. I'll just be at the apartment we have in the city, which overlooks Central Park. <laughs> and probably with another woman. Probably with another Usually woman. Usually with another woman. <laughs> Although he kind of, he seemed to semi-turn down the girls on the plane. Mm. I mean, he made a comment about after you're done with them, come on over and we'll have, you know, a foursome or whatever. But, you know, then he just went over and looked out the window and you didn't get the feeling that it was actually a thing. If he was a man who didn't cheat on his wife and legitimately loved her and wanted his marriage to work... That would be a refreshing change for a show like this. Hmm. I got the feeling that that might very well be the case. Yeah, that's what I got the feeling of, too. Yeah, but. yeah. I mean, they could do a switch and show that, you know, it was all I have a feeling if he, Yeah, I have a feeling if, but, he cheats, if he cheats on his wife, it's going to be because they're having issues. But he didn't before, they, before that. I don't mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
just like with the drinking, you know, he was doing really well. And then he got involved with the murder. And that's not exactly something he can explain to her that, yeah, I, I fell off the wagon because a guy was murdered on top of me. Mm. And, um, and then I helped cover it up. Let's so. uh, have Matt read some feedback here. <coughs> this is yeah, Matt. This is from feedback. Steve. Uh, okay. Hoopleheads, oh, vinyl, season one, episode one, pilot. Drug-fueled, batshit crazy fun is how I would describe the pilot episode of vinyl. While it doesn't have the gonzo poetry of a Hunter S. Thompson article, vinyl could be a distant cousin. Bobby Carnavale is not my first choice for leading man material, but boy, does he display some range in this episode. And as long as we're on the subject of inspired casting, was that fucking Andrew Dice Clay? Yes, it was. (laughs) (laughs) An HBO alum, the Dice Man would have last been seen on HBO's Entourage. With Mick Jagger and Martin Scorsese as creators, I have no doubt the series accurately depicts the 70s New York music scene. I will be watching more. 9 out of 10 lost brain cells and a little bit of bullshit. Historical (laughs) fun fact. As mentioned on the inside... What? As mentioned on the inside the episode... Oh, is that a show? Inside the episode? Maybe a featurette of some sort? Okay. As mentioned on the inside the episode, the Mercer Arts Center really did collapse on Friday, August 9th, 1973, killing four. Hmm. Crazy. Oh, I know there were there Hello? were various collapses and stuff. Hello? We have to we have to yes, we have to wait. Someone's taking an important phone call. I got a call from my parents, let me just say during the recording, and I immediately hung up. <laughs> <laughs> I just turned. I tried turning off the phone, but uh, it's ringing in another part of the house. So that's why. <laughs> oh, okay, that's it. That's it. Uh, sorry, guys. Okay, I'm reading this article now. Just after 5 p.m. on Friday, August 9th, 1973. On oh, the show was a lot later than 5 p.m. There was an ominous rumbling sound at the University Hotel in Greenwich Village. Then, as the village voice reported, the plaster ceiling started falling. Four minutes later, the wood beams gave in. Gave in. Floors began crumbling, caving. There were screams, people rushing into the street. Joseph Cooper, hotel manager, dialed 911, then ran outside. He was in the street, then heard a large, awful crack, he remembers. And then the eighth-floor building fell to the ground. Crazy. Uh, this was a hotel. Is this also a venue for a music, a music venue? There may have been something in the... In- on the lower floors or something like that. Um, that wasn't all that uncommon, especially all, in Greenwich Village. All I could think about when that happened and after he w- like woke up, well, oh, Matt and I, because Matt, Matt mentioned it too, it's just like asbestos. Like, he's just, he's got asbestos in his eyeball. Like. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't know it was a problem back then. Am I the only one who wondered if it was really happening or if it was in his head? 
it did seem a bit surreal. Yeah, I was wondering that too. Yeah. When it was first starting, you know, I thought it wasn't and then and then I started wondering. There was a point when I was wondering whether whether it was in his head. And then when it actually collapsed, I was like, No, this is not not in his head. It was when the other other people started screaming. <laughs> That I realized it was actually happening when the beams were falling and people were. It seemed to take them too long yes, to start screaming. I think that was one <laughs> of the reasons why I thought it was just his the drug his drug use. Because only he was noticing it, and mm-hmm. he wasn't doing anything about it. He wasn't running away, right. or so I was like, "Oh, he's just having a bad trip." <laughs> right, and the cracks in the foundation represent the cracks in his own foundations of work and family life, and. And all of that, I thought it was symbolic, but turns out, nope, it was realistic. So that was quite a spectacle. It can be both. Uh, yeah, it probably was both. <laughs> it was quite a scene. Yeah, there goes the budget. Yeah. <laughs> I wondered if they had conceived of this scene and then wrote the series backwards from there. Because <laughs> it felt Maybe. like... Like the real showpiece of the entire episode. Oh, um, to answer your question, I was just reading that article too, and it, apparently that hotel brought down the Mercer Arts Center behind it. Oh. It says, but on around the, it was a the hotel was apparently very large. It was the largest uh, um, hotel in some area or another uh, when it opened in 1870. Uh, it says it was a faded icon and the catastrophic collapse merely put it out of its misery. But around the corner on the west side of the building lay a more promising casualty of the destruction. The rubble that once was the Mercer Arts Center where a band of liberal theater producers had tried to create a Lincoln Center for downtown Manhattan. I was thinking to myself, why didn't I hear about this or whatever? And I realized I was in summer stock that summer. I would have and you don't the rest of the world doesn't exist when you're in summer stock and then also in the article it says in the renovated theaters of mercer street the punks came home to roost in the summer of 1972 marty thau saw a sign outside the center advertising an incredible bargain new york dolls two sets three dollars six months earlier thau had quit quit his job at paramount records and was looking for a new project he paid six bucks and he and his wife were treated to five guys dressed as women in horrible makeup and jewelry. I was blown away by the performance. Now that sounds like uh, the men that were on stage in the in the show. They were dressed as mm-hmm. women. So the New York Dolls, real band, American mm-hmm. rock band, punk rock group. He really liked them. <laughs> there was a few scenes where, where the, the main actor was just like in a crowd, just vibing to music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what he misses about the industry. He's all caught up in all the corporate stuff. He really just misses the vibes, vibing to music. Misses discovering bands. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to be doing what the people that he's hired to do aren't doing. They aren't finding the next sounds they aren't you know they aren't running down leads and stuff which when you were saying before about cutting cutting expenses it's like i think that's probably one of the best examples is that none of these people are bringing in the um 
the axe and they're turning down people like Abba and and yet they're still there. Right. I thought he would have fired instantly that one guy, the one in the purple. A couple of the guys actually he should have fired for they, the guy with the insane mutton chops. The guys they weren't they weren't bringing in the work the the groups and they were being disrespectful to him in meetings. I mean they were being smart asses in meetings. It's like really making yeah, disparaging all, they all, comments. They all acted really like terrified of him, but he seemed like a a very tolerant boss for what he had to put up with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I did not get that at all because he. Yeah. No. Yeah, and then he was concerned I, I about know. their employment status after the company was. Re- like maybe he's too nice of a person. We wondered if he was nice enough. Maybe he's too nice. Maybe he's a pushover. Yeah, yeah. get rid of some. I of mean, this he does seem weight. like a he does seem like a pushover when it comes to the business stuff. Um, if he'd been able to get the other guy out of there, he definitely. I'm sure he would have definitely let him do make his his records. Um, he pro. I'm guessing he probably would have even lost money on them but uh but since he liked the guys the same music the guy did probably would have gone with it yes it's a very sad story i love the blues i love it don't get me wrong i love it but does it sell understand frankie lyman hank ballard chubby checker jackie wilson that's what i'm talking about kitty music (laughs) Who do you think buys the records? Huh? Stravinsky fans? Hey, listen to me. You would sing the hell out of that stuff. But that ain't who I am, man. That's right. You're little Jimmy Little, baby. Who? Little. You didn't tell him? I told you. It was your idea. You tell him. Tell him. Chart a few records under a different name. You chart a few hits, right? Then you start recording the real stuff. You let me sing the blues. You give me hits. You could sing fucking Mary Had a Little Lamb. You could sing fucking opera. I don't give a fuck what you sing. I want hits. This is great and everything, but uh, I don't know what to say. You like playing dives? Do you? Hmm? You like having a little shitty pisshole toilet for a dressing room for the rest of your life? I'm offering you a record contract. You're offering Jimmy Little a record contract. <laughs> little Jimmy Little. You know, because you're t- tall, you're big. You see? It's terrific. 500 cash, three points I'm offering. You know, do, let me talk to your manager for a second, please. Two seconds. Thank you. Huh? How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Are you retarded? What? Are you? Are you mentally fucking retarded? Are you? No. Get this guy in line. He, he wants to sing blues. You're his manager. You manage him. Musician ain't your friends, kid. They're products. They're products. You catch a hot model, you push it as hard as you can before the buyers move on to the next. That's it. Understood. That's it. Understood. You got a good ear. I like that. 
and I like you, you're sharp, play your cards right, don't be a schmuck, okay? And I'm going to find a place for you here. All right? That's it. Not your friends. He's the meanest, meanest I liked a, a bit of that business logic of breaking even on flops. As long as we break even on the flops, we we'll make our money on the good bands. Mm-hmm. I, w- I wasn't even sure if they were actually breaking even. I thought his his other guy was uh, cooking all the books anyway. So yeah, yeah, probably a were. little bit. Yeah, there were yeah. a lot of characters as well. There were too many. I thought there was too much. This was overstuffed. That should have been mm-hmm. much shorter. But uh, I will be curious if Steve watches more what he thinks of the rest of the series and if it developed into something that was worth keeping around because when it premiered it uh the numbers were not great it final viewership was close to 1.1 million viewers less than premieres of true detective the newsroom the leftovers pretty pretty low for the 30 million dollars they put into the first episode and plus another 70 million and uh yeah but they renewed it the day after it aired its first episode, <laughs> they were they're like, we put money into it. We're passionate about it. We think people will watch it eventually. We're go-. So they renewed it, and then they later canceled it. Hmm. And why did they cancel it? Well, um, according to a Newsweek article called What Went Wrong with HBO's Vinyl, its demise, it seems, can be surmised by a mixture of surprising lack of buzz tepid ratings, bloated budgets, a change in management at HBO, and the departure of Terrence Winter at the end of the first season. Who was Terrence Winter again? He wrote the premiere, so I think he was the chief showrunner, probably, and lead producer. According to Martin Scorsese, it it failed because he didn't direct every episode. He said... That's a director talking right there. I as much okay. as I respect Martin Scorsese's abilities and all, no. No, it's so insulting to the other people who put the work in. But yeah. right, I'll read from this article. He had been trying to develop the project with Mick Jagger for 20 years, initially as a film, before deciding to do it on TV. It was ultimately tragic for me, because we tried for one year. I did the pilot. We tried for one year with HBO, but we couldn't get the creative elements together. It was something that I realized, in order to make it right, I think I would have had to direct every episode and be there for three to four years. Hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, And then it says later in the article, however, Scorsese's other series for HBO, Boardwalk Empire was done similarly. He only directed the pilot, and it went ran on to run for five successful seasons. Again, I think this one had its head up its own ass. Was like mm-hmm. They were trying to shove as much stuff as possible. I feel like mm-hmm. they, they felt like they had to because of all the pop culture references and all the, you know, like they just wanted to put as much as they could to like, I don't know, like to satisfy the audience, I guess, or to satisfy fans. Or themselves. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know, but there was something. It was just so blo- bloated. It just making stuff. it two hours is an enormous ask of an audience that shows yeah, yeah, an incredible like, amount of hubris on the part of the network. 
I'm going to tell you right now, it takes, for me to start watching a show that has a pilot episode that is two hours, it's really difficult. Like, usually, like, I can't do it. I don't have the time. Think about how big of a show Game of Thrones was in its scope. Mm. And its premiere was only an hour. An hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I really got the feeling that they were trying... That either there were an awful lot of people pulling the whole script in different directions. You know, one wanting to show this story and that one wanting to show that story and this one. And... Almost like they all were like, we know so, so much about this world. We want to tell everything we know about this world. Mm, yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know a lot about this world. Great. Make a good story. That might have been better served as a book. I think I found focus. Mm, yeah. Because, I mean, that's unless they unless they figure out what they're writing about or mm. what, you know, what the story is about. It's going to be really hard to make it good. Yeah. Before we and... offer final thoughts and rate it, can we pivot to fashion? Yeah, sure. Did anyone pick any uh, best dress, worst dress? <laughs> well, the for me, worst dressed was mutton chops. Yeah, same. <laughs> which one was? Which one was that? Is it this the guy one? with the mutton chops? Uh, hold on. The guy who failed spectacularly oh, doing at everything. Uh, oh, oh, um, purple guy. Purple, purple guy. guy. Yeah, mutton chops. His fashion to me was just... Ugh. But the fashions in the 70s were... They weren't great. Questionable. I mean, Robert Plant's little vest is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, too. Uh, maybe I'll change it to Robert Plant. <laughs> His little, like, Aladdin <laughs> get-up. <laughs> okay, so uh, Purple Guy, I didn't like his blousey shirt. He had no. lavender pants and a bright purple vest and a big buckle. Oh, that guy. But I think worse than him is to the left, Ray Romano, in that <laughs> ugly green pea soup looking colored jacket over red kind of casino carpet colored shirt. I don't think that's a good color combination. No, but you know what? That was the 70s. Well, Yeah. The, col the colors were terrible. <laughs> a lot of polyester. It's just, Lots it's of just polyester. a bad time. And really raw polyester. Yeah. Not not like how not it's... comfortable. None of the clothes were comfortable. No, not really. They didn't breathe. Very well. <laughs> well, I mean, some of there was other stuff, but yeah, I mean, there itchy, was itchy clothes. There, there was other stuff. I mean, there was cotton yes. and stuff, and there okay. were you know some cool prints and everything. Sure. Um, it depended on what you were doing, but you know, yeah, what they're wearing is awful. And, <laughs> but which is worse? And not now. When it comes to the stage performances, all the guys were either semi bare chested or had you know everything open down to their navel mm -hmm. and you know all of that. That was just that was just the thing, you know. Um, if they weren't going on stage. That way, they were kind of not in the groove. Yeah. So, um, you look at any of the, even the things that are pretty tame, like um, you look at some of the old videos of, of like the Bee Gees and stuff, and 
I've been watching some reaction videos and all from kids watching old music. <laughs> and and they're all commenting on how, you know, here the Bee Gees are dressed, you know, pretty conservatively, except they've got their shirts open, you know, to either to the navel or just above it. And, uh, and you know, it's like, yeah, that was, that the... was normal. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to show their chest It's hair. a good way to catch a cold. <laughs> Rafty in those music venues. Um, here's my honorable mention for uh, best dressed. Uh, I wonder if I'm crazy for picking this. I would never wear this, uh, but I feel like you know what? this is, even though this is very 70s looking to me, it, it is. Those are great colors. It's great colors. Yeah. He's not overdoing it. He doesn't have a jacket on top of this. It's it's really no. speaks for itself. He's got a, a gold chain, which I don't like. But this no. this also, this guy here, I don't know his name, but he, he was in the A and R department. He's screaming on the phone, and he's got this blue and red and red white blue like floral print. Uh, okay. I think so, that's a good shirt. It just doesn't look good on him so in particular. Let's talk about the painting behind him, though, because that is exactly the color scheme of the kitchen in the house that I grew up in. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cupboards were orange. Yeah. The kitchen had was green, like that green. Yeah. Yep. Terrible, terrible color scheme. What were my parents thinking? I don't know. <laughs> they were going with the style of the time. Yeah, our kitchen that- was yellow. As well, yeah. and, and the refrigerator was like a yellow, not even a yep. bright yellow, but like a like dirty a, yellow, like a, like, like a Dijon, like a, like a yeah. mustard that yellow. Was the color, like that not was the like color. A, like was it like a sickly yellow, like mm-hmm. a pale? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was the color. I don't know why, but it was. So and our bathroom is like pretty much like from the 60s 70s it's like the original bathroom in this house and it's <laughs> it's it's got black and yellow tile and the toilet is black and yellow <laughs> yeah the, the the bathtub is yellow love it. <laughs> people everybody that comes to our house they're like we love your bathroom and i'm like i don't <laughs> my house growing up was bizarre like there was no flow yeah. from room to room it was you know the ray romano's uh shirt like that was like carpet in one room and then it was blue carpet in another room and yellow in another room and it was like why is one room so yellow and another is blue and why are there saloon doors here and what's like what's happening saloon doors yeah we had saloon doors but no between the dining room and the kitchen when you walked I was gonna, into the kit in the dining I area that. yeah i could have guessed i may have that. mentioned that, that was, before no no it's just that that was an architectural thing when you said when you said um Saloon doors. I'm like between the kitchen and the dining room. Uh-huh. Um, we didn't have it in my house. We didn't have any of this stuff in my house because my house was uh, a little earlier. Uh, my parents moved in in '55, so and they had the place themselves. But um, but yeah, that those color schemes. That you weren't the only one that was ra- were raised with those color schemes. That <laughs> yeah. was that was everywhere. Um, I remember when my brother brought bought himself a dining room set and and it I had forgotten all about it until I don't know fairly recently he had given it to somebody and somebody mentioned it but he got these chairs that he loved 
that were, you know, they, they swiveled and all this stuff, but they had this gold, uh, fake fur seats and, and clear, uh, polyurethane backs to them. And, you know, it's just like, they were not my first, you know, uh, thought of something that I would ever buy myself, but that was my brother, not me. I liked, I liked Rich, Rich, it was this, the main guy, mm-hmm. was his name Rich or Rick? Richie. Richie. I liked Richie's clothes. <laughs> he was very well dressed. Uh, they seemed simple and uncomplicated. He had some nice suits. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, um, he had his, I thought it was interesting that he had an off-white suit. Because white a white suit was um guys can look really good in white suits by the way <laughs> um yeah white suit was very fashionable at the time and uh i had a friend who had a, a an actual white suit the one he was wearing was uh, almost like a cream color cuz you can see the difference between the his shirt and his jacket so that was just a little you know, a little different, not not going with the uh, the style. If you watch Saturday Night Fever, you know, you can... Is that the suit famous you're, you're talking about, suit. Carol, in the chat? Yeah, that's the one. Uh-huh. Yeah, it looks yeah. like something you could wear today. Like, it doesn't look too dated. I mean, yeah, Carol, just... you're, pro- you're probably not wrong about the, uh, the white suit slash, like, you know, because I'm pretty sure that's... Matt wouldn't be here if it wasn't for his parents wearing white pants at a club. <laughs> Apparently, according to them. <laughs> Both of them were wearing white they, pants? I don't know. They like to talk about how they were wearing white pants. It was pretty hot, <laughs> apparently. I don't know. My friend, my friend Jules, he would turn heads. We used to um, we used to go to weddings and stuff together. He was my, you know, he was my my go-to date for whenever we could could dance. Yeah. And, uh, and he had a white suit and a red shirt and I don't remember nice. what color tie. And not nah, all that mattered was the pants, Carol admitted. He, he, <laughs> he turned heads, I'll tell wow. you. He turned oh, uh, Okay, so my nominee for best dress, unless Mel, you have one? Uh, well, let me think about it. Okay, well, I'll go then. Uh, this is her. Cece is the character's name. This is a dress she's <gasps> wearing. Yes, she had the best. She she had some good clothes, but this is my favorite one. It, I think it looks like an owl with 3D glasses. I love it. Uh, I love her dress later on where it's like a turquoise with like a pattern. Mm-hmm. I like that one. I would have worn that. Like, I think this one's cool. Um, with all the little patterns and colors. And I don't, couldn't tell if it was like knit or just a print on a... Where's the uh, yeah? It was probably it was probably a print on a knit fabric. Am I wrong, or is yeah. that not an owl with big glasses and a little hat? <laughs> That's what I see. I mean, it kind of looks like that, I guess. Um, it's it's flowers, but it definitely gives an impression of that. Yeah. It that pattern actually looks familiar to me. <laughs> I think. This is awesome. I think it's right that you. was this one. 
I think I've seen that fabric before. I also liked, um, what's her name? Um, the one we liked that had all the drugs in the drawer. I liked some of her, the things she wore when she got dressed up. Uh, that was, she looked really good. I like that dress. Mm. She was well-dressed. Yeah, she, she was. Had good, she had good fashion. Is that mm-hmm. different from this one? She's in the door frame there. You're going to have to post all these yes. pictures. Uh, yeah, folks, the pictures are going to be... That was really nice, the, too. The photos that I'm posting are going to be in the show notes. If you go to hooplecast.com and you go to HBO Project, scroll down to find vinyl, click on show notes or resources, I think it says. And you'll see the screen caps yeah. that I'm posting, as well as the links to articles that I've used. Uh, also, I'm going to link to the article that Steve included about the hotel slash theater collapsing. So those are where the resources go. The resources button on the website. But yes, uh, is that a different dress? That is a different dress. That is a different one. This, I, this I like all her dresses. One. Yeah. yeah, this is a green one. The other one was blue. The other one was a two-piece. This is a is a one-piece. And... Yeah, I like the yeah. small too, Mel. She, she she had the best style. She does. Yeah, she had. Yeah. she does. Yeah. yeah, a lot of these are very very typical of the seventies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy's shirt. Yeah, yeah. But on the but whole, like her dress, her dresses. I feel like you could wear that today. And oh yeah, yeah. Fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Uh, the women fared better this outing than the men did. <laughs> Well, I think men's fashion left a lot to be desired in the 70s. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Overall, not like all of it, but like a lot of it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys was... saw my link that I sent you, correct? Yes. You look at okay, that's got that needs yes. to go in the show that... notes too. <laughs> yes. That was a whole other it... thing. Most of those things I don't remember ever seeing anybody wearing. You've never seen a man with a belted sweater? <laughs> A belted sweater, yeah. But there were so many belted sweaters in this. <laughs> no, belted sweaters, yeah. But most of those were like onesies for men, and and yes. you know, like like weird, weird things. Um, <laughs> not that seventies fashion wasn't weird; it was. Yeah. There's no two ways about that. Yeah. I mean, people people often think that you're you know like being. Um, over the top when you're saying what you know 70s fashion could be like and it's like no no that's actually what it was like <laughs> this uh, is truly what it was yeah yeah i mean that guy's shirt that you know that's in the picture with the red white and blue that you liked it was you know that would be a pretty normal shirt to have for a guy mm-hmm. to have it would not be an unusual shirt yeah at all um the yeah, none of these, none of the fashions that I saw people were wearing in, in, uh, at work were mm-hmm. out of the ordinary at all. Uh, Buck Rogers, LMB Broadcasting. For his distinguished service to the radio community. The radio guy. I know who the fuck he is. Oh, I know you do. Yeah. Well, apparently Donnie Osmond stiffed him on some promotion thing. He's threatening not to play the new album. Fine, I guess I'll go talk to him. He's talking to Boycott, label-wide. Over Donnie fucking Osmond? He's a fucking maniac, you know that guy. He thinks we favor his competitors now, and... Look, I want to bring in Joe Corso. Corso's a thug. 
You don't know that. You don't know that. You, you, he's good. He's good at what he does. That's don't. You shouldn't say things about people that you don't know. You know, he's 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 the best promotion man in the business. Fourteen radio stations across every major market now willing to play any of our albums. It'll spread like a fucking leukemia. It's no joke, Richie. We're going to be bankrupt in a month. Fine, bring in Corso. Meantime, Polygram is watching us. So buy us some charts. Paper ads on Cashbox, a single on Billboard's Top 20 if you can. And you, I don't care if you got to ship crates of Captain Beefheart's catalog to an empty fucking warehouse in Poughkeepsie. Inflate the fuck out of the sales numbers. Meanwhile, I'll go lean on fucking a What about me? You? You go to the emergency room. Oh my God, for what? See if they can get your head out of your fucking ass. Right, no, Some of these are okay still. Let's pick these up, give them to the assistants. The sesame's landed face up. Are we ready to rate? Sure. I thought it was fine. Uh, it was well done. Um, I just, two hours was too much mm. uh, for the pilot. So yeah, it did kind of like struggle to keep keep your interest at some points. Um but I mean, besides that, I had no issues with it. It's the story's fine. Uh, I'll give it a um, seven point five out of ten. Uh, uh, vibin, just vibin feels. <laughs> just vibin feels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, Mel's scrubbing the episode, and I just saw him like just feeling some music, mm. <laughs> feeling the New York Dolls. Yeah, in those scenes with the New York Dolls, I'm like, he looks, he sort of looks like Xander from Buffy. <laughs> Just his hair, his hairstyle and his face. He does kind of a little bit, yeah. I look, I do like the, uh, <laughs> I know it's like kind of ridiculous, but I, I do like the New York Dolls singer get up with like the suspenders and the gold scarf. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of fun. I'll give my rating. Uh, yes. There, I found a lot to like in this, surprisingly. Uh, I was very skeptical going in, but I enjoyed quite a bit of it, and I disliked quite a bit of it because that's what happens when your pilot is two hours long. There's just <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot to to like and to not like and to talk about. And it certainly, it surprised me in that I liked the main character much more than I thought I would. I see a a white guy with a drug problem and and the just his whole his whole vibe i was prepared to be turned off by him and his whole deal ended up really kind of finding a lot of sympathy for him and also for his best friends not best friend but at least his first client uh the blues singer who the horrible thing that happened to him honestly there's at least three different episodes worth of material in this thing uh kind of crazy to think about but I was entertained more than I was bored, which was just a surprise to me. So I'm going to give it 8 out of 10 pharmacy drawers. Whoa. Okay. Um, I guess it's me now. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I agree about the main character. Um, I, I did feel a lot of sympathy for him. I 
I felt his stress and and what a horrible position he was in and and all of that, which was good. Um, I liked the fact that you know I liked the main guy, uh, flaws and all, um, and and the blues singer absolutely had a lot of sympathy for him as well. Um, why he attacked the guy after they made it clear that they were going to hurt him so badly. I don't know, but I guess maybe he just, you know, it was just, he snapped, but, um, I, you know, overall though, again, I, I don't want to repeat myself. I, but I will, um, it it wasn't focus. And I, it came down to this is a story about a lot of things that I that I've seen before or read about or you know it's it's kind of old news and at the center is a guy who we're watching his destruction which again is not my favorite kind of of story um it's like okay let's just make us all just feel like crap for you know two hours um as we watch this guy just with no redeeming you know elements to it there's you know there's no way out for this guy um we don't know that though well i'm guessing (laughs) it's a guess that you know this is just going to be a spiral down and he might be able to keep his company or or you know he sells his company but starts a new company and brings in with him, the people who he values the most from his old company after they've all lost their jobs. If there was some some indication that that was where it was headed, that it was going to be him losing everything and then building on the new forces in music, Mm -hmm. I would have been interested. Yeah. You know, that I would have been interested in and seeing how, you know, the new, the interplay of the different types of music and and who you get on board and who you lose or whatever. That I could watch and I, I would have been interested. But again, it's like, where was this thing going? I yeah. have no idea. Was it going to be a procedural about um, him trying to get away with uh, helping in murder after the fact? Is it about him getting squeezed because... That guy knows that he was involved with the murder, and you know what? What is this thing? It's, after two hours, I had no idea, and and I don't know that I would, you know, care to spend another couple hours finding out. So um, I'm going to give it a charitable six, um, six heavy chandeliers on weak plaster. Mm. Um, and, uh, and say the production values were great. Um, there was one anachronism that I caught and that was probably a, I'm going to, to say it was probably an ad lib by Dice Clay when he said about Lyme, Connecticut and Lyme disease. Uh, it wasn't called Lyme disease till the 1980s. Sorry guys. Okay. Um, we didn't even know what it was back in the seventies. So as soon as he said that, I was like, wrong. Anyway, um, and 
good production values. I I still, you know, Scorsese's great. The actors were very good, but it was really unfocused. And I don't know what it was. So that's it for me. Okay. Speaking speaking of Lyme disease, we just watched the uh, Simpsons episode where uh, Lisa's teacher there, Lisa's substitute teacher, with Mr. Bergstrom. I don't know if you have watched it or remember it. But Miss Hoover goes out because she thinks she has Lyme disease. This was in the early 90s, and I didn't realize that Lyme disease was like, because you hear about it so much now. But yeah. The, but she was like, oh, yeah, I think I have Lyme disease. So she had to go. But it turned out she came back at the end of the episode and she was like, so class, it turns out that my disease is psychosomatic. So she thought she had it because she was hearing it all over the news. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, then, and then one of her students, Ralph, is like, does that mean you were lying or you're crazy? And she's like, <laughs> oh, a little of both. <laughs> oh, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lyme disease was not it was a mystery illness until the 1980s. They figured yeah, it out. I thought that was interesting. No, anyway. we need your rating. Yeah. Uh, well, I agree with you guys on pretty much everything. This episode was all over the place. If they had been more focused on something, it might have gone somewhere. But as it was, like... It was hard for me to focus because it was so unfocused. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I would give it a 7 out of 10. Nancy bastards! <laughs> um, I just bought those bagels. Oh, Nancy bastards. I like that line. There were a few times when I laughed in this, yeah. in this thing. What about when they uh, he said, uh, gather them up and give them to the staff? <sighs> It was it was almost a throwaway. At the end of that scene, they started gathering them up, and they said, uh, "Gather them up." This one, this one uh, landed. The the sesame seeds were landed on top. You yeah. Know. Uh, so um, gather them up. Give them to the staff. There was an earlier line where they were talking to the Germans, and he was talking. Well, I don't remember which. It was Richie's father or someone's father had was killed in the war and they paused awkwardly and then said in Okinawa. And I thought that was funny too. Yeah. It was, that was, yeah. And it was, there was a shrug at the same time. There was like, you know, like Okinawa, like eh, not a big deal. (laughs) I would like to mention if anybody is at all, uh, interested in like this music period or just learning about like the history of punk because we were talking about that earlier there is a podcast called no dogs in space that has like their whole first season talks about the history of punk Uh music so it's basically like the set based in the 70s early 80s so yeah Mm. well they do oh. talk about the New York Dolls in there and oh. everything. I haven't listened to all the episodes, but it's hard to follow. There's so many names of people. Mm. I'm not a music nerd at all, but in fact, you hate them. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm just like I have a terrible memory when it comes to like remembering names and things like that. So, uh, you know, I th- I think anybody who's into anything is kind of like that. I mean, yeah. you know. 
whatever the their nerdum is yeah it uh you know anybody can be accused of that and it is it's a trap that yeah. you know we can all fall into of mm. you know being really into something and feeling like what you don't know that yes. i'm always getting I'm always getting on the kids for saying, oh, that's easy. No, it's not easy. It's mm-hmm. not yeah. easy for There's everybody. There's a lot of information out there. And yeah. It's hard to know all about it. Well, that's probably one of the reasons why I started listening to that podcast was because I don't know much about this subject. Let's have a listen and see if I can learn a little bit about it and maybe discover some music along the way that I might like. You don't want to well, be the I've girl always- in my office who always talks about Star Wars and... Dressing up for Star Wars conventions. And that's the... There's a girl like that in your office? Well, (laughs) not anymore. But when she was there, it was like, that's your entire personality. That's all you do. And that's all you talk about. And you stop wanting to engage with her at all because it always came back to mm-hmm. that one thing. It's mm-hmm. always just the one thing, yeah. You yeah. have to be more you than one have a thing. Varied... It's okay to be passionate or really like something, yeah. but yeah. you have to have yeah. something else in the quiver. Otherwise, it's just the same conversation all the time. You're just like a one-note person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. That's very true. I, I'm, I'm used to, I've always been the person who didn't know about popular music when it mm. when it's happening and i've been like that since i was like five years old <laughs> i literally literally remember other five-year-olds being like you don't know who elvis presley is and <laughs> no i don't and showing me the album cover this is elvis presley okay if you say so you know and you don't know his music no. i was raised by an opera singer you know you i mean what opera, can I though? Say? I'm not particularly into opera, though I have a certain level of knowledge about opera that's just through osmosis. I've done a few operas. I mean, I've done tech theater for some, and I've I've sung in some operettas, and you know, I mean, I know a lot about more, a lot more about Gilbert and Sullivan than anybody really wants to hear about. Mm. Um, so there's, you know, but. I've never known what was happening in popular music mm-hmm. when it's happening. I know about it like 10 years later when friends of mine will introduce it to me. Mm-hmm. That's so, you know, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Well, do you want to know what we'll be talking about next time we record? Sure. Yeah. Let's go for it. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled two premieres to talk about. Uh, the first is, oh, no. yes, um, the first is the, premiere of the limited run series The Night Of and then we'll be talking about the premiere of The Young Pope Oh, The Young Pope? Yeah. I've heard that that's very Catholic? (laughs) I've heard that that's I don't know if that's the one that's like super like like sexy Hmm. (laughs) I think it might be There's also The New Pope that came after The Young Pope yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, it's an about. I saw the two popes. I think the young pope. I think I think so. I think that's the yeah. one that's like supposed to be sexy. Yeah. He's young. He's yeah. probably like in his forties or something because he's played by Jude Law as the first American pope. Hmm. I like Jude Law. It's a collaboration between HBO and an Italian network. So 
Uh-huh. I really don't know anything about it, but the night of and the young pope. I've seen all of the night of, so I feel pretty good about talking about that one. Um, yeah, as always, you can find us at hooplecast.com or go into Facebook and search for Hooplecast and join our discussion group. We got a lot of good content in there. We have good people in there talking about stuff, posting stuff, news items, fun discussions, things, things to discuss. Things cool. to discuss. Things to discuss. Oh, and we haven't talked about any other projects or podcasts we might have going on that where people could listen to us. Matt, I know you've got something. Right, yes. Uh, the Karate Kid Minute podcast is a podcast where Robin uh, and I, my co-host, we talk about the film The Karate Kid one minute at a time. <laughs> a single minute. Yep. So we spent like 20 to 30 minutes talking about each minute of that movie. <laughs> and right now we're doing the credits because we got through the whole movie. Oh, wow. So we're talking about we're talking about bonus stuff. We're not actually talking about the credits. Just for those minutes, we're talking about other movies, uh, odds and ends, like parodies of The Karate Kid and skits and stuff. And sometimes I'm a guest because I have nothing better to do. Yeah. <laughs> and also... <laughs> and also, I'm re-uploading to my personal YouTube account. I'm re-uploading my original Twin Peaks podcast from 2011, 10 years ago. Uh, so if you had a good time listening to that first time, you can listen to it again. It's been absent from pod services. You can, you can put yourself it's that again. like you're yeah. Disney and you open the vault. I open the vault, the Twin Peaks podcast vault. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can't wait till you post uh, the return episodes. That's... Uh, that's the good stuff. Yeah. I, I will do it. It's but. funny because uh, we're actually, we've, like, we hadn't watch, rewatched Twin Peaks in, like, years. I feel since The Return came out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, recently, uh, Matt's brother's girlfriend had never seen it, so we were showing it to her. And uh, Matt's brother plans on watching the return with her and we're like why we can't stop it <laughs> we, we won't we're not gonna do it with you like, oh God. we're gonna watch, watch the series with you up till that point then we're leaving <laughs> that should clue them but I'm sure sometimes you just can't help people they go down these bad roads yeah, yeah. it's, it's kind of like these series that we see where it's spiraling down and down it's the same yeah. thing in real life and uh, I don't have any other podcasts going on uh, dormant. Just this. And that's fine. It is fine. It's a lot of work. Yes, it is. Yeah. It and is you a lot do of a lovely job of Thank it. you. There you go. There you go. All McKinley right. Cass. Nothing? Nothing? No. We, <laughs> we, we're still talking about it. We still haven't given up. We're still yeah. talking about bringing it back I don't for think the last a, few episodes. Right. I'll believe it when I see it. I I am not giving up. Good pod, everyone. Hey. Yeah. Yes. Matt, thanks. you still have a little cocaine on your nostril there. Bring ah. it off, man. Do we have a signature <laughs> sign-off? I thought I was told not to do that anymore. Oh, did we decide after our long hiatus that we were going to retire that? I don't know. Oh. I think you should still do it. Fuck you! Someone had to do it. Someone had to do it. <laughs> we didn't do it last time. No. And when I was editing, 
It felt like something was missing. known each other i don't know I guess since we started doing this thing yeah how long is that um let's see at least five years. uh we recorded our welcome episode on january 17th 2015 wow grief so at least five years six years too far off. Yeah. more than six yeah no can you believe it no, no. not at all <laughs> it's been a great six years 
We haven't pod faded. No, not yet. Nope. We won't pod fade until one of us dies. <laughs> <laughs> or has to fake our death and go into witness protection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> until one of us murders the other and then tries to hide that body. You're yeah. always threatening to kill Matt. <laughs> well, he is the most available human right. to murder. Right. <laughs> For you. Yeah. 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 Right. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. you can always hire a hit hit person to take one of us out. <laughs> it's funny yeah. because I, yesterday I was joking uh, to Matt's parents, actually, that I was like, they were talking about how, like, anytime a couple... They watch like a murder, sh- like a real true crime murder show or whatever, like Dateline or something. And then they say like whenever it's like a story about a couple and one of them gets murdered, it's usually for insurance money. And I said, well, I'm the only one with life insurance. And then for some reason, I forgot immediately that I'm the only one with life insurance. And I was like, oh, like I've had plenty of opportunities to kill Matt. And I was like, why would I kill Matt? <laughs> They pointed out to me afterwards, they were like, why would you kill Matt? Like, you're the one with life insurance, he should be killing you. <laughs> you right. killed me for nothing. <laughs> well, you just kill him because you're sick of him. Yeah, yeah. Who cares about the money? <laughs> I'm not shallow. <laughs> <laughs> one of those hikes. Something happens to one of you on one of your many hikes. I'm going to suspect yeah. foul play. <laughs> yeah. Only if... They've taken out insurance recently. They're going to subpoena me no. for all the podcast records of Murder <laughs> Mouth. I don't think they're covered by privilege of any sort whatsoever. No, there's no uh, podcast or host, co-host Are you recording privilege. right now? <laughs> it's all, I'm feeding it all to the FBI. Well, whatever the, the Canadian Mounties. Damn it. I've been found. It'll take them a while to get here on their horses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. 